Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Manteca. We'll be in the book of Luke again this morning, continuing through, starting in chapter 7. If you need a Bible, Pedro's available. Just raise your hand, we'll get you a Bible. Go through verse by verse, precept by precept. Um, for uh, those of you who don't know or don't believe in Facebook, um, Heidi is down with her brother Thursday morning at 1 in the morning. He's an Alano sheriff um, in San Bernardino there, or the San Bernardino County Sheriff in Alano. Um, they were, him and his partner were on a call. Um, they were, well, not on a call, they were pulled the vehicle over uh, about two blocks from the police station and heard some gunfire coming out of an apartment about 30 yards away, um, which it appears they were shooting at them. As they approached, he was hit under his vest um, in the abdomen um, and damaged six or seven organs and pancreas and stuff. And so after several surgeries, they uh, finally closed him up and he's, he's doing better. He's talking. Um, the last report is this morning. He's, he's really yellow. His liver's working, so they're worried about gallbladder. Um, and he's having a hard time getting enough oxygen, breathing on his own had a collapsed lung and things. And um, so keep him in prayer. It's gonna be a long process of recovery. Um, and just the whole situation, the extended family, Heidi's father isn't saved and, and some of her stepbrothers and sisters that have been there. And so really just praying even with the other officers, the witness um, just there and the family being there. And so that's where Heidi's been, has been down with the family and um, just there for that. Um, so yeah, thank you for their prayers and just keep them in prayers. His name's uh, Robert John. Um, and so, yeah, it's scary times when, when things like that happen, you know. And um, also, uh, Mylynn, um, for those of you who know, the, the lady staying with us with her kids, her oldest daughter's um, kind of uh, ex-boyfriend, hus husband type kind of thing. They have two kids together. Um, they've been apart for six months, but also last week he was skateboarding um, in, in San Jose over to visit a friend in the hospital. Um, no helmet on, hit a retaining wall, went over the wall and uh, injured his head bad enough to where he's been unconscious, unresponsive. And um, they decided they are uh, today, they're, they're going to take him off life support. And so um, they have their her two granddaughters or grandson, granddaughter and grandson who's, who's their father. And so um, kind of, uh, yeah, a rough week as far as some of those things go, especially when they're close to home and, and knowing people uh, uh, fighting for their lives, literally. And, um, you know, just keep him in prayer. Keep, uh, his name's Jojo, keep him in prayer. Um, maybe God will work out something totally miraculous, bringing him off life support. Um, or God's faithful to the last moment, but, but through his life he hasn't has shown no knowledge of God at all, which is, is really saddening. And um, so just his extended family and, and the family there and be praying for them as well. And so let's, let's actually take a moment and do that. Let's pray for him. Dear God, we lift up, um, we just lift up uh, Brother Robert to you, Father, and uh, just Carolyn and, and the kids, Father, Faith, Ashlyn, and Lauren and Megan, Father, just give them your peace. God, take care of their father. You know, uh, 
just all the little steps between here and there for him to be recovered, Father. Each and every organ that needs a heal proper, we just pray you just touch him miraculously. God, just restore him, restore his health. God, continue just to um, work good through this, Father. Bring, bring his father, John, very Father, just to you, Father. Just break him and yet be glorified in this, God, in this situation. God, we pray just uh, just give Carolyn rest and give her peace. God, um, give the girls just a peace that you love them and you know, and you're taking care of their father. God, we pray for Jojo, Father. You know, um, you know, you have a time and a plan for each thing. God, and we just pray you just revive him, Father. Bring him back. If he doesn't know you, just anything, Father, that he would not leave this place without knowing you. God, we pray for uh, Monique and her, her kids, God, and uh, Mylan and the family, God, just, um, just give them a peace. God, use this for your glory and for your good. We just thank you that we can trust in you, that you are a loving, compassionate God and that you have authority over all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, on another note, the fire truck's out front because it's got banners on it for Fun Fest, which is coming up. We're doing a planning meeting after service with Heidi, who's not here. <laughs> so, um, we will do a short planning meeting and she will be available more for questions as we get things set up for it after service. Um, probably be about 15 minutes after service in the children's room there. So those who have signed up or wanting to be involved with the different booths, that's what's going on there. Um, so let's open our Bibles and uh, let's dig into the word here. Luke chapter 7 verse 1 and it says, Now when he concluded all this sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him with, was sick and ready to die. And when he heard about Jesus, he sent the elders of the Jews to him, pleading him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that, they, that one of whom he should do this was deserving for he loves our nation and has built a or built has built us a synagogue and so after we've been going through and we kind of had the sermon on the plane where uh, Jesus was teaching through and and some really uh, uh, I guess turning the the thoughts of this world the uh, things upside down you know loving your enemy and these things and and when he was concluding, and, we, and that's where I believe it really is a separate sermon than Sermon on the Mount, because it seems like he's very close to his home base, which would be Capernaum. So after his sermon, and he's there, and, and he enters into Capernaum, and that was kind of like um, he was in Nazareth, but his home base for ministry ends up the city of Capernaum. And so it appears that he's pretty close to that area, and the certain centurion... Okay, we don't know the Zach Centurion's name in a sense. There's um, some historical things speak, 
speaking to who he is, but the synagogue that was built is still there in Capernaum. Even though it's been rebuilt, the original floor that this guy had built is there. You know, and his servant, it's not even for him as servant, but as a centurion in this nation at this time, um, you, you talk about, um, a centurion was a man, he had at least 100 soldiers under him. He's in the service of the Roman military. Um, it was a minimum 25-year position when you signed up to be a centurion or you took that position. And here he's in Judea, a nation of people that, number one, don't like you, don't like to be occupied, like others, but on top of that, they consider you dogs and less than human. I mean, to be trying to rule over people that really don't like you, um, it's not a, a, you know, it's like, you know, you, you see these shows or something and somebody messes up and it's like, we're going to station you in Siberia, you know? That's kind of what Judea was like for a Roman Empire. You did not want to be stationed in Jerusalem, you know, and or Israel or, or that area, I guess, would be Judea at the time. And so he's there and he has a servant and, and it was a servant who was dear to him. And he was sick and ready to die. And, and um, at that time, when you think in, in the culture, you, okay, you have a servant, but, but like a servant, like a slave, there was over 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire at that time. And being a Roman citizen, you could put a slave to death. There's no consequences. It was very well more thought like, a, like having an animal or a horse, okay? And if you have a horse and it ends up lame, what do you do? It costs too much to fix, you put it down. If it becomes a problem. If a servant isn't able to serve because they're sick, you usually, you know, put it down, it costs too much. But he has a servant who is dear to him. And, and sick, we don't know exactly what kind of illness. I mean, and, and back then it could have been something as simple as, I don't know, tonsillitis that you had no medication for. And it's just progressed to the point where he's ready to die. It's, it's at the end stages. And the centurion, he hears about Jesus. In three it says, so when he heard about Jesus, he sent the elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when, verse four, and when they came to Jesus, he begged him earnestly saying that the one whom he should do this was deserving for he loves our nation and he has built us a synagogue. So the Jewish leaders, the elders, he hears about Jesus. He doesn't approach Jesus. He approaches the Jewish leaders and says, hey, I hear about Jesus. Can you go plead with him for my servant? Can you, I'm pleading, go, go have him come for my servant. And so the Jews come to Jesus and say, hey, you know, we're begging you, begging you earnestly. Hey, this, this guy, he's, he loves our nation. He's, he's built us a church. He's, he fears God. You know, and, and you had Gentiles who were Gentile believers and, and converted, but as a Roman soldier and the fact that his house and things were still, we see, is unclean, he wasn't, even though he feared God, there was a, a kind of a line he didn't go over and probably couldn't go over being a Roman soldier. And so it's interesting. You see them coming to Jesus, pleading, and they're, they're petitioning him. And what's amazing is everybody here in the story is on somebody else's behalf. You know, he's, it's not for his own sake. 
It's for somebody he cares about dearly, which is, it's, it, this man, the centurion, what a blessing. Here he's been, he's part of this Roman Empire, which was very corrupt at this time, immorality. And, and he sees something and he fears God and he has a love for that nation. And literally that's what it means, a love for the nation. is A, a good translation is like a fear of God, a fear of the nation. The nation not being a place or a person, but being represented as the Jewish people were supposed to be, a nation representing God. And in their mind, they're saying, hey, this guy's deserving. If you're going to help somebody, he, he deserves this, you know? And as we continue here, it's interesting, though, when Jesus, so verse 6 says, then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far off from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am unworthy that you should enter my roof. Now, what's amazing is this is a Gentile, and it's a Gentile's house. To enter a Gentile's home as a Jew is going to defile you. It's something you're going to do. You'd have to go through a witch roll. You'd have to go through cleansing. It's not something you were allowed to do. It would be to enter a Gentile's home. And the Gentile officer, he knows this. He, he sent for Jesus. He petitioned. And I don't know if he said, hey, go get him to come to me or just tell him he's healed. You know, I don't know if he even asked him to come. You know, this might be the way the Jewish leaders kind of responded. We've got to get Jesus over there, you know, in, in their minds. Because we do see a difference here. And, and what's amazing to this is this guy knows he's unworthy. But yet, did Jesus care about any of it? At, at this point, it's like, wow, he's going to, okay, he's already healing on the Sabbath. He's healing leopards. He's doing these things. And now he's just going to blow the doors off by walking in this guy's house. Right? Almost. Not quite. Right? Any thoughts on that, you know, what the Jewish people would have thought of this? And, and the amazing thing is the elders and the Jewish leaders are the ones encouraging it. You know, if, if, you, weren't, if you were there in that situation and you're his disciple, I would have been thinking, man, this is a setup, Lord. They're going to get you in there so that way you're unclean and we can, you know, they're going to go after, look, he's for Rome. I mean, that's what it would seem like. I'd be a little nervous as his disciple. We're going to where? Okay, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking... You know, I'm sure Jesus had a whole different insight, but man, if I was, you know, one of the Matthew or sitting there, I'd be like, well, I don't know. I mean, tax collectors are there, but Jewish Roman soldiers are a whole different thing, Jesus. I mean, I know I was a tax collector, but, you know, but this Jewish guy, he's, he knows he's unworthy. He says he's unworthy. He goes, and you don't even have to trouble yourself. I don't want you to defile. You're, you don't have to come in my house and be defiled. I'll, I'll stop you there. You don't even have to enter. But what's amazing is, I love it, when Jesus said, he went with them. There's no hesitation. He went with them. He went with them. His view is interesting. He, he views himself as not worthy. Humble. But yet he still knows where the answer is. Right? He still has a faith. And so he says, yet he's not worthy. But when you look in verse 7, it says, Therefore, I don't think myself worthy to come to you even come to you myself but say the word and my servant will be healed humility and faith right there all you got to do is say it I, I, I would have come to you and petition but I'm not even worthy to come to you to petition you I'm not worthy that you enter my house I'm not worthy of any of it but you say the word it'll be done I know where I'm at 
I'm at nothing, I am worth nothing, but, and I'm not worthy of any of this, but I know it's not based on who I am, it's based on what you can do, and all you gotta do is say the word. You know, and, and but just say the word. And in verse eight, he kind of goes into explaining it and, and in a sense of his thought process, which is just amazing. It says, for I am also a man placed under authority having soldiers under me. And I say to, to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servants, do this, and they, he does it. He recognizes authority. Roman soldier goes, hey, I'm put here by Rome. I have the authority to Rome and to act on him. I have that authority. I can take a life. I can send men into battle to die. I have authority given to me. I understand authority. And the centurion recognizes the authority given to God. Here you have these Jewish elders there. It's kind of, the middlemen are kind of interesting. It's like, I'm wondering, are these Jewish leaders into believers or are these some that still disagree with them? I mean, all the other Jewish elders we knew what, or Sadducees, Pharisees, they're trying to kill them. Now you have this group. Where did this group come from? Right? It kind of, where do they come from? And here they're in the middle of this guy saying, hey, I know what's going on here. Talk about a, a witness, nonetheless, from who? From a gentle Roman they should hate? I mean, this guy's life, even though he should be totally rejected, have nothing to do with God, be totally carnal, is amazing. And Jesus even brings that out when he tells him later he, he marvels at him. But he recognizes the authority and who he represents. Jesus has the authority of God. He has authority over the living and the dead. We've seen him have authority to heal, authority to... What doesn't God have authority over? You know, and, and sometimes when we think about that, it, it's hard. It's hard to realize God has authority over things like sickness. But yet sometimes he allows it. He has authority over everything that goes in our life. And when, verse 9, it says, And when Jesus hears these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd following him, I say to you, I have not found such a great faith, not even in Israel. Jesus marveled. There's not many times Jesus marveled. Um, he marveled at Israel's disbelief. He marveled at the woman who came and, and, and begged him, you know, at the table and says, hey, the, even, the little, even the little dogs get crumbs from the master's table. You know, and here he marvels at this man's faith. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever caused God to marvel in this way. I'm sure I've caused him to marvel in other, other ways. <laughs> How did he get himself in that situation? i got to help this guy out. You know, I, I sit here and... Um, you know, I, I look at things and, and some things are scary. God's um, gracious with us and amazing. You know, we, we went in, like I said, I, uh, now two weeks ago I uh, found out I was diabetic. But I found out I was a really bad diabetic for a long time. You know, we went in for the cancer screening, everything was clear, and he goes, how long have you been a diabetic? I'm not a diabetic, and that ended. So uh, I told Heidi we need to get into a doctor's appointment. We go on the doctor's appointment, I find out I'm you know, it was 280 something. That's five months ago, and I've been living like this all summer over 300. And they and a, they do this some little A and A test. I don't know if you guys know what that is. Okay, 16. Yeah, see, there's a nurse. There's somebody in the hospital, or whatever. Somebody knows medical. What? That's not good. 
So all summer long, all, all I was doing was drinking a lot of water and um, using the restroom more often. That's only something I had, but you know, when you tell somebody, oh, you're over 300, they're going, you're not blind, passed out, and dead yet. And, wow, that's amazing. I'm like, so you know, sometimes you don't even realize God's grace is on you, and, and um, he's marveling that you're still walking around and doing good, you know. Guys, when your wife says, hey, you know, the doctor said that, maybe you should go check out. Listen to your wife. Just saying, just listen to your wife. Save, 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 save some sweat on the angel's behalf. Listen to your wife more often. But it's interesting, and, and what's amazing is he refers to him not even in Israel. Guess what? Israel's not up the map of this time. It doesn't, it's not there. There's no Israel on a map. This, this, this isn't a nation, it's a scattered people. But he still refers to him who? Who's Israel? I know the descendants of Israel. I know this nation. Even though they're not a nation again, they're going to be a nation again. I know who Israel is. Which is kind of interesting. He puts that in there. Not even in Israel. Still referring to God's chosen people. And in verse 10 it says, And those who were sent returned to the house, and they found the servant well who had been sick. And Luke, this word well is, is made whole. Okay? And not just he's recovering, but it's totally well. Miraculously healed. Not, yo, oh, his fever dropped and better. This is whole. You know, I don't know, when you get older, a lot of us older people in here would love to be made whole again. I don't know about you guys, there's a lot of things that squeak and ache. Started riding a, a, a bikes again this week and getting some exercise and stopped eating all the sugar. And so... Um, got my numbers way down, actually, too low Friday. So, anyways, but um, you look at that and you go, man, I wish I could be whole again. Make plenty of insulin and eat more cake. No, you know, I don't know what you guys, right? Whole, complete, full. And so Jesus does this, and he doesn't even have to be there from a distance. And they return, and that's the case. And, and it's amazing to see God's authority here, that there's no distance there, I think many times we can slow down and we do not recognize God's authority over stuff. You know, it's one of those things I always, I always joke around, well, what's your, what's your favorite verse? And it's, you know, Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and earth. Why is that my favorite verse? Because if I could just get that down, I'd be doing good. So people go, do you believe in God? Oh yeah, I believe in God. You believe he loves you? Oh yeah. Oh, well, I do until my city Lodi bill comes sometimes and I go, ah! God doesn't have the authority over the city of Lodi. It's too big. Now, you know, whatever we stress about and worry about. And it can be even harder than that. There's, there's very scary things, hard things to deal with that come into life. And you go, is God still in control? And it, and it shakes you. Well, let's look at this next situation. We kind of have um, these two miracles. And I believe Luke really uh, put them together for a reason because it really does show God's authority and who he is in his heart and, and how Jesus is, how Jesus has authority but yet compassion and how important that is to us. Now look, in verse, verse uh, 11 it says, Now it happened the day after that he went into the city called Nail, or Nail, or Nail yeah, I guess Nail, and many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. So this city um, really translates beautiful. Um, 
It's on, a, on the way, it's kind of up through Aragon, and, it, and it's a city with one gate, it's still there. It's still a small city, and there's still out the front of the gate on the east side where the main gate was, there is an ancient graveyard still there. And so that's where he comes, and he's got this large crowd with him, and he's heading there. And in verse 12 it says, And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, and the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. Now, it's kind of an interesting scene if you can picture this. You have Jesus coming up to the city, to this gate, this narrow point, right, where you all have to get through. These gates weren't huge gates. And then at the same time, you have this funeral procession coming out with a large crowd. So now you have two large crowds kind of coming together here, you know, and, and I'm sure, you know, very much like respect now, the funeral procession would kind of have the right of way. And so it comes and, and you can imagine the people that are coming out in the funeral procession aren't really knowing what's going on. You know, and what's other, another thing that's interesting, we have, you know, why was Jesus there? Why was he heading there? I always like to think, why, you know, suddenly he's going to this town? Is it, you know, on his route? Was it planned, you know? And so he goes there and, and this funeral's coming out and here you have a son who's passed away of a widower. So her husband's already passed away. She's gone through this, the loss. And now a child. And that's hard. That's a very difficult thing to have to walk through, but more even so in this culture than ours. She is now without any income, destitute. There's a whole other line for the rest of her life that is going to be very hard. Many times, even in India to this day, if you lose your husband without a child, the women will throw themselves on the grave and die with their husband because that life to pass away is better than the life they will have to live in many cases. And so she is in a horrible situation. And the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, do not weep. Now. There are times you're around family and, and you're there and you're, you're trying to love on them, minister to them. And the last thing I would suggest any of you guys ever to do would tell somebody not to weep. That seems really cruel and out of place. I mean, to come in and, you know, say, you know, don't weep. It's like, wait a minute. What do you mean, don't weep? My son passed away. I mean, if there was any a time, to, you know, to weep and to cry, it would be now. But Jesus is doing something else. And in verse 14 it says, And then he came and he touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said to the young man, I say to you, arise. And so he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented it, was presented to his mother. Now, it's not, the word coffin is a poor translation here. It's more like a platform, okay? Um, a kind of a buyer thing. It's a, it's a platform they put the body on. It wasn't like a, a, a closed coffin. They would very much, um, in this time with the, with the temperatures and everything else, 
Usually somebody died, they were buried within the day, within 24 hours. And so he would have been there, he would have been wrapped in burial clothes and set on this platform. And, and to touch that platform or dead body would have been defiling. If you touch a platform of dead bodies on, then you're defiled. But again, just like the leopard, he's not dead anymore. You know, so you want to catch him on defiling? Well, you got to, you got to, you know, he can't raise him from the dead next time then, I guess. You know, and so he's sitting there and he's there and he, he, he has compassion. Tells her, hey, don't, do not weep. He goes over and he touches it and those who were with him stood still and he said to the young man, Arise. It's interesting. Jesus talks to dead people. There are three three times in Scripture he speaks to them. He doesn't just he doesn't touch them. He speaks to them. Guess what? They're not gone. They're not there in the body. But how can you speak to somebody? No, because they're there. He has authority. He can speak to where they are at, and he tells them, "Young man, not." spirit, not nothing else. He still refers to him as a young man, arise. He, he later, he, he, Lazarus, he speaks in the tomb to Lazarus, who was by then stinky. You know, there was a little girl, right? The little girl he speaks in and calls, arise, wake up, little lamb. You know, and, and it, it's, it's amazing to see. I mean, that day, though, would be pretty freaky. Would you want to be that pallbearer? You're sitting there, you stop, and this guy sits up. I mean, you talk about scary things like Halloween, okay? You got the guy all unwrapped. He's wrapped and now he's sitting up, you know? And I'm a little bothered. I'm a little upset with Luke. He sat up and he began to speak. Tell me what he said. Oh, I want to know what the guy said, right? He sits up, you know, and you're like, wow. I, saw, I mean, he begins to speak. What does he say? You know, it's interesting. He sits there, he speaks, sits up, and, and that whole scene... An amazing, awesome thing. And he gives him to his mother. Because Jesus had compassion on her. We know nothing of the mother's faith. We know nothing of the mother. Nobody came pleading to him. The other case, we have people petitioning for somebody. Lord, come. Lord, come. Praying on their behalf. This case... Jesus walks into the scene. There's, what about the young man's faith? I think it's pretty solid. Now, beforehand, who knows, you know? Could have been an unruly brat child. Who knows? And now he's, you know? It's amazing. We don't even know how he died. Was it an illness? Was it an injury? But Jesus brings him back to life. And it's not a resurrection. He didn't, resurrection's eternal. He restored him. Jesus restored a couple people here. Jesus doesn't like death. You know, if you want to go to the scripture and go, well, you know, you know, I'm going to do a funeral or a memorial, and I, well, I want to see how Jesus does it. You're going to have a problem. Everyone he went to, he raised somebody from the dead. Every record we have doesn't work out well. <laughs> you know, if you have that kind of faith, then you need to start you know, work at a mortuary. I don't know. I don't have, you know, it's amazing. He walks into that situation, but very much he was already declaring what? I'm the God over life and death. The problem with this young man is he's going to die again. 
at some point. But Jesus on the cross, what? He accomplished that for all of us, that we not might be just restored physically, but we will be reborn and, praise God, into a new body. We'll be raised from the dead. We will be resurrected with him and eternal. We won't die again after that. It'll be over. And that's what's amazing when you look at these things and who God is and the authority he has over life and death. I don't care what religion. Tell me anybody that should have any kind of authority over what happens after you die. I'd want some accreditation. Bringing people back alive, that takes some, you know, can you tell me anybody, Buddha raise anybody from the dead? I don't think so. Muhammad, no, didn't happen. You know, there's, there's situations in the Bible where it happened. You had, you know, you had Elijah praying a guy raised from the dead. You had Elisha pray. You even have Peter later over Dorcas, but they all prayed. Does Jesus pray? No, he just commands. Authority's here. All the rest of us were asking God, hey, God, you have authority. Give us the authority in your name, through you. And it's interesting when you look at this and you see the thing, and it's hard to not question and go, okay, God, why, why not all the time? You know, it's rare that God raises people from the dead, but his main purpose wasn't to save us temporarily, it's to save us eternally. Eternally. And he had to do that by laying down his life for ours. And I think there's a proper response to both these things. Look at with me in verse 16, it says, Then fear came upon them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went out through all of Judea and all the surrounding area. A great fear. What an interesting response. You see Jesus do miracles, you see him do miraculous things, and some of the times the first response is fear. You know, what fear? You know, the, the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord. I think fear is a good reality check when you realize what's going on and what the truth is, right? When you realize somebody has authority, can it give you fear? You ever get pulled over by a police officer? Do you have any fear when that police officer comes to your door? Yeah, because you know you're doing something wrong, but there's a fear. There's a, hey, this guy has authority to put, all kinds of things could happen if I am there. Now, if you're doing and you're believing and you're, and you're you know, you're, you haven't done anything wrong, you have no fear, right? If you called the police to come help you with something, you generally don't have any fear. Now, if you're doing something wrong and the police come up to you, then there's fear, right? Very much so like as a child, right? A child has a healthy fear of his parents, right? Your parents are gone. They're gone for the weekend. You're supposed to get things done. You'll find out they're coming home early. Suddenly there's a fear. There's consequences that authority's returning. I'm in trouble. But at the same time, there can be rejoicing. They glorified God. Going, yes, there's fear because I know who I am. I know I'm unworthy. I know I'm a sinner. And I'm going to be held to account. God's going to be faithful. He's going to discipline me as if a child if I'm disobeying. 
But yet, I'm gonna have the security back. I have the security that God who created everything, has authority over everything, loves me. Loves me more than I could ever imagine. Loves those people around me more than ever anything I could ever imagine. And we can entrust Him with our hearts, we can entrust Him with our lives, and every breath we take to the last one. You know, in, 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 in uh, the book of John, you know, when I was going through and, and uh, found out I had cancer and stuff, and you kind of wake up and going, okay, you don't know how bad it is, you don't know, okay. You wake up in the morning, you're drawing breath, and you go, I don't know if this is a reality, the, this place, I'm gonna be waking up like this. Like, six months, I might not be here. What does that look like, you know? And, and I, I man, this verse would have been awesome, you know. Jesus said to him, you know, arise. That would have been a cool verse God gave me. No, he gave me, I go and prepare a place for you. Where I go, you may be also. When I, when I will come and get you and receive you to me. I'm not going to die. Your last breath. There's no circumstances. You know, the situation, you pull up in a car, you're 30 yards from an apartment where some guys are high or whatever and decide to start shooting at you? God knew. God knew the time. How sad for these men that they're in such darkness. You talk about lives destroyed. It's, it's all bad all the way around. Two 26-year-old men have no clue if they have kids, family, whatever, but they're gone. Their lives are over. Their lives from here to the end, hopefully, that's what it takes to bring them to their knees and they accept Christ because their world just changed. Hopefully they're not fathers and have kids out there because they're gone, you know, and justfully so, but that's what sin causes. It causes death and destruction. And here we have God who's come to end that all. Free us from sin, free us from those, free us from the power of death, having authority over it all, and having compassion. I'm so glad God didn't just come back with authority. He could have wiped us all out. You know, when we're going through up at the men's uh, conference in their tent days with Timothy, and we're going through Thessalonians, and it's talking about the God, return of God, and the only thing holding, the only reason God isn't dealing with lawlessness, the sin, this destruction that we see, is he's holding off that all of us would come to his knowledge, that all of us would repent and be able to walk in a relationship with him. Every last one. He's holding that off. He's holding judgment off that we might be saved, that all might be saved. You know? It's hard to see sometimes. Next week, we're going to start looking at John, the Baptist. And he's in jail, and he's questioning, hey, are you the Messiah? Man, you saw... You saw a dove descend on Jesus? You saw heaven opened and tell him this is my son? And now you're questioning? Yeah, I hear all you're doing all your miracles, but man, I'm in jail. And he ends up dying. This is his own cousin and God allows it. Because that wasn't the end. That's not the worst thing. Death is not the worst thing. I know it's hard. Jesus knows it hard. It has compassion on it. But many of us know what's behind there. You know, you, you hear at a funeral, oh, he's probably looking down on us right now. That's nice, but if I'm in heaven, I'm sorry, I'm not looking down at all. I'm looking around. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm like, mind blowing. I'm not wondering how many of you guys made it to my funeral or not. And I'm definitely hoping you're not praying I come back. Leave me. 
tell Heidi sorry, don't raise me from the dead. That, that, I'd be upset, I'd come back mad. What the heck, you know? We're having words, you know? Heidi would be happy and I'd be mad, it'd be awkward. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, you know. But the authority, the authority Jesus has in Matthew 28, 18, it says, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded to you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. What an awesome thing. Our God has authority, and he goes with us. And it's a therefore we can go. Why? Because you can destroy this body. Look at ten of, the, ten of the disciples lost their lives. God was with them to the end. God was with them to that. Well, I can, I'm doing it. I'm going in. There's, death has no sting. God has authority over it. Yes, there's a time of separation. It's hard when loved ones leave. Jesus has compassion on it. But the reality of it, it has no real grip. It has no real sting. I can walk into any war zone or any situation God leads me in and we can share the gospel in that situation and we can share his love without fear. Why? Because God has authority over it. And our day and our time when he comes to receive us to heaven is not based on any man, any doctor not turning over a lab report in time or, you know, you look at these things, what the heck didn't you, you know, shouldn't the lab caught that, right? My blood sugar is that high. The lab should have said something. The doctor should have said something. But anyways. So, but there's things. Things happen, you know. Each and every day there's many things we come across and those things aren't going to matter. You know, and um, as I was talking to Heidi and the, the family's sensitive to those things and they're, oh, your blood level on Friday was 61. That's bad, you know. And, you know, and her sister called me every hour for the next four hours until it was up because she's worried I'm going to fall asleep and not wake back up type thing. And yeah, I got to eat some sugar. Um, but Heidi is just real simple spot. God's not done with Tim yet. I'm not worried about it. It's not done yet, you know. And, and truthfully, if he wanted to take me out, he could have done it a hundred other ways all the time. It's not done with me yet. You know, I'm glad she knows that. I wish she would tell me exactly when. If she does, no. But, you know, it's amazing to see, and we have that authority. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always. Now, that might be easier, right? Going out making disciples, but teaching them, teaching them in all things. I mean, are you guys, you think about our culture. Ooh, isn't that hard? Sharing the truth and love, the situation. There's situations that come up constantly where, where you're dealing with a sinful world. Does your opinion change? You know, we, we had a, a, a young man, um, one of my employees picked up that was hanging out because he, he says he got kicked out. I think he might have ran away, but he's adopted and um, he's having problems and, and really um, there and we're talking about things and, you know, he goes, well, what do you think about you know, gay and this and that, and oh, it's not biblical, it's wrong, it's, you know, this and this, and what does that have to do with you struggling with drugs and everything? Well, my adopted parents are both gay men, and 
that. And so you think that's wrong? Yeah, it's biblically wrong. Sin is wrong. But does God love him? Yes. I'm going to speak the truth, you know. And yes, you need to go back and you need to be in that house and, and either work a plan out with them if you can't stay there, if you need to go to a, a program or whatever, but you're underage and they're, you're of legal authority right now and you're supposed to obey them still, even though I totally disagree with their lifestyle. You know? Kind of looking at me wide-eyed like, really? You, yeah. It's biblical. That's who has authority over you. That's, you know, where God's placed you and got to pray with them and things, and so I haven't had an update on that. But, you know, you look at those things. The world challenges us completely. You know, here it's not maybe, okay, a life or death situation to teach the gospel. Could get you in trouble at work. Could get you disliked. Might lose some Facebook friends. You know? But he is with us to the end of the age. You know, and it's interesting to sit there and, and realize we're unworthy. We're unworthy. You know, and Jesus has compassion on us even when we forget to pray, even when we forget to cry out to him and we beg. He is compassionate. He's loving. We can trust him. You know, you had these two parties there. You had one group with a man who was dead and you have one group with a man who's alive. One who's mourning, one who has a Savior. And it's amazing just this, this contrast in how God just walks into that and he changes it. You know, it, it's hard sometimes, you know, you, you go through, why does God allow evil things or things that seem evil? And we know he's holding off, we know he loves, but many times it's a lack of understanding why something seems evil to us. If I told you there was a man and this man is is cutting on a child, making him bleed. You go, man, that, that guy's evil. He should be put in jail. Any man that would do that's horrible. What if I told you he's a doctor and he's working on cancer? Oh, well, that's a whole different story. You know, sometimes we look at a situation and go, God, how can you allow this in my life? This is horrible. It's miserable. This is the worst thing ever. You don't have all the facts. You know, and that's the amazing thing is we know God is loving. We know God is patient. And, and his primary thing isn't for our comfort. It isn't for um, a life to be financially blessed, uh, even blessed with health. It's to be blessed with him. It's to be blessed with a relationship with him. It's that he would get glory through a situation. And, you know... There, there are many times, that, you know, um, I know, you, know you, you talk about men, these two men I know now that are struggling and fighting for their lives. I know other men that are fighting for their lives. You wouldn't even know it. Some have sat in this church fighting three cancers. They're not going to make it long. It's not it maybe immediate, but I guarantee you that man would trade his life. It meant him taking out and having cancer in having to walk through those things that his children would be able to know God, oh, he'd do it in a heartbeat. He, there, there's not a minute he would not allow God to take him through that if it would reveal God's glory, reveal God to his children. Is there anything you would trade over that? Long life, any financial? No. 
You know, and God knows those things. There is nothing He's going to trade for an eternal relationship with you. No suffering, nothing He would not allow you to go through to grow closer. And it, sometimes it hurts. It doesn't make sense. You know, some of the hardest things we've, you know, those hard things you have in life is when one of your kids has to have a surgery. You know, they're going off, you know. I remember Alex when he was real young, I think he was two or even under two, he had to go off and had a surgery and, you know, we're sitting there and it's scary, your child's going off to have a surgery and, and he needs it, you know. And of course, they gave him the little medicine to make him happy so he's having a good time and you're just like, I'm, I'm trying not to cry and I want to laugh at you because you're being crazy, but I know why, and it's so hard to see. You know, those things. God loves us very dearly. He has all authority, but he's a loving, compassionate God. And sometimes we sit down and we deny God's authority in our life over a situation, over a problem in our relationship. We want to push it aside and go, no, God, I'm not going to let you have authority. I'm going to take this into my own hands. I don't trust you with it. And how foolish we are, the destruction we cause when we do that instead of just trusting God with every situation. With our lives, with eternity, with those who we love in eternity, we can trust Him. You know, you, you, look, at, you look at these situations it's hard. How, how can a man at 24 pass away and not know you? That's horrible, Lord. Why would you allow that? I don't have all the information. I can tell you one thing, because the God I know and the God I know in this word, he loves Jojo way more than we could ever imagine. Way more than we could ever imagine. He's going to be faithful to the last moment. How can he allow my brother-in-law to be there in that situation? I mean, when you, you know, you become a cop, you go, oh, that's the worst thing you want to hear. You know, when Heidi's sister called her early in the morning, that phone rang, and it's 5.30 in the morning, and it's Katie, something's wrong. That, that feeling, and, you know, lately we've my brother passing away and those things, you go, how can this be good, Lord? You know, and you go, I don't know why, but I know he loves him way more than I can ever imagine. I know he's going to work through it. With Robert and the extended family, I'm expecting God to do amazing things through it. There's been broken relationships and those things that occur in a family and the, the distance and everything else, and now they're all at a hospital, all in a room, sitting there with police escorts, which helps. No, you know... They're there, the police are there just to be loving and help out. <laughs> you know, not because of family feuding, but it's helpful to have them there. No. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, you guys, some extended family get rough, especially when you have multiple marriages and, and unbelievers and those things. But guess what? God's going to work through that. God's going to be faithful in it. We're going to be praying he works through it. We're going to trust him with it. That's where God's amazing. And then we can, we need to have two responses to God. When you come in contact with him and you realize who he is, the two responses that people had were exactly 100% dead on. What did they say? Flip back over here. They said, fear came upon them all, and then they all glorified God. We need to take our relationship serious with seriousness. We need to have a healthy fear of the Lord. 
We need to look at our lives and realize God's going to be faithful to deal with you when you're being disobedient, when you're walking in sin. Because he loves you. He's going to deal with you. He's going to discipline us. He's going to do whatever it takes to deal with that sin. But at the same time, you should be totally encouraged because God's a loving, compassionate God. He's dealt with sin, and he's dealt with death, and we really have nothing to fear. As a believer here today, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what do you have to fear? There's nothing in this life. It will pass away at a point. Your sin and the things you're doing, God's going to be faithful to deal with them. Isn't that awesome? He's not going to just leave you being a jerk. Right? I mean, that's the thing. God's faithful and awesome. He'll leave you not being a jerk. You know, one of the things that um, comes to light with, with, with Heidi's family and stuff, I was a jerk. Some of Heidi's family still know me as a jerk. You know? They don't, you know, just a couple of them dislike me. You know? And it's like, wow, why don't they forgive me? No, I earned it. I was a jerk. I'm unworthy. I know who I am. You know? My heart is still evil, wicked, and a jerk. God's faithful to deal with me every morning. I've just gotten better at it. And I don't have another choice. I know who I am. I'm ugly. I'm, I don't deserve anything. But in your name, Lord, you can change me. In your name, you can work in me. In your name, you can do amazing things. So I just need to just fade away and let you just shine. I need to just disappear, God. And, you know, I need to have a healthy fear of Tim showing back up, the jerk. Really what it comes down to, and you look at that in your life and go, God, let me have a healthy fear. I should be worried, like, Dad's coming home. Who got in the cookie jar? Oh, no. You can't blame it on your siblings. You can't lie to God. You don't get away with that. It doesn't work. You know? You can try it. Men, it's not your wife's fault. No. (laughs) Lord, but the woman you gave me. The first guy tried that. It didn't work out. You know? Does it? You're responsible. Be the spiritual leader. You know, when you look at Adam and Eve in the garden, what happens if Adam told her no? What if he was willing to lay his life down for Eve? Said she blew it, but I'll take the punishment. That's what Jesus did in the end, right? Nope, we're too dumb. But she did it. No, right? We blew it right along there. Let's pray. The worship team will come up. Dear God, we thank you that you do and you have authority over all creation, every living thing. God, you have authority over every power and principality. God, you have authority over life and death, over everything on earth and in heaven. That we can walk boldly Be your children. Be your disciples. Share your love with the world without fear. That our hearts and our lives rest firmly in your hand and nothing can snatch them out. And no matter what hardship or things we go through and and weeping, 
and time and tears that you are there to the end of the age. You are faithful through each and every moment. That you will give us everything we need to be able to walk and walk with you in peace, Father, and have a truly blessed life as we follow you. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.